must be the ghost of Christmas yet to come? Here to show me my future if I don't change my ways? Where are we? 1903? Why? What are you saying? Do you mean my friends are... Over here, gang! Fred! Zorgs! Like, hurry up, Scooby-Doo! I'm 455 dog years old! A big hello to all you mystery solvers out there, and welcome to Heavy Metal, a podcast about Scooby-Doo. I'm your host, Ethan Brandine, and each week, myself and a guest will take you through mystery from somewhere in the vast history of the greatest cartoon of all time. My guest this week is returning to the podcast. It's Michael Brandine, my own father, and he is here for our holiday special to discuss Season 2, Episode 10 of Be Cool Scooby-Doo, Scroogey-Doo is the name of the episode. Dad, welcome back to the show. Are you happy to be here? I am. Thank you, Ethan. Good. I'm very happy to be here. Good. I did spring it on you last minute that you were going to be doing this, but, you know. It's all right. You're a trooper. You're a chipper. Always. Roll up sleeves, jump right in. It didn't hurt to have somebody nearby that is always willing to talk about Scooby-Doo. Yeah, you know, I mean, other sons might come home for the Christmas break and like, hey, Dad, you need, I need you to fix my carburetor or whatever. But um, this is relatively much easier than that. And I don't get any oil on my fingers. That's right. That's right. Um, so it's been a while since you were on this show. It has. You've done several episodes since then, and I've listened to almost all of them. There's, yeah, yeah I, I, I try every week. To, My uh, one fan? I enjoy I don't think that's true, but I enjoy uh, I mean, I am your fan, but sure. I'm not the only one, I'm sure. But uh, but I do enjoy it when I get to listen to it. And it was, uh, actually, probably six months ago. It was the, the mm -hmm. summer that we uh, that we recorded and and, and did that one on, um, on the uh, Snow Ghost episode. So, yeah. It's good yes, to be back. We did. Well, well, I'm glad you're back um, for a very different uh, kind of episode of scooby-doo for sure um my question to you because last time we talked in depth about your history with with cartoons and and the like um learned all about all kinds of old man cartoons that you watched and everything like that um so my question is what is your experience with christmas media oh well, that's okay. Because I feel as though the idea of a of Christmas movies mm -hmm. has become more and more of a thing over the past, like let's say, thirty years. Like, yeah. like you could you could say right around when like Home Alone and the Santa Claus and those kinds of movies were coming out is really when they they became more and more of a this is a genre that's going to come out every year. Sure. Let me let me start by saying uh, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. So really, that's Okay. That's where it starts. Um, sure. 
the uh, you know for a lot of people. But uh, um, no, I kid. Um, I think you're probably onto something there. Um, you know, thinking back when I was really young, um, there really was only there wasn't a lot of there weren't a lot of Christmas movies. Um, I didn't even see It's a Wonderful Life. Like we watched it in the in the week of school before Christmas when I was like a freshman, and that's the first time I'd ever seen the movie. Um, and so that would have been in the mid '80s, and um, and so that tells you a little something about how few Christmas movies there were because now you know it's on permanent loop. You can watch yeah. it all the time. Um, I will say probably the first probably what you're talking about we're like home alone and then we're going to have you know films that are specifically going to be released at christmas with a christmas theme i'm going to go and say christmas vacation is maybe the genesis of all that yeah um because uh um, i do remember when that movie came out and um and then when it for us you know when it first was on uh, vhs or dvd or whichever one it got released on first um used to watch it you know every year uh, before it became on AMC or whoever, yeah. you know, all the time. Um, when I was real little, you there were um, children's shows mm-hmm. that were Christmas themed, and and those came around every year. So obviously, Charlie Brown Christmas um, was an every year event. Um, the Rankin Bass specials, like um, the claymation stuff, like like like, like Rudolph and Rudolph Frosty the Red Nosed Reindeer, and Frosty the Snowman. Um, Santa Claus is coming to town was this mm-hmm. little there's a very particular kind of animation yeah. uh, with redheaded people yeah. <laughs> that, that that that's a part of um, and, and they had the heat meister and um, and that sort of thing and so but yeah it's much later I mean it was it was really when um, I mean, I, remember, I remember home alone coming out I was I was older then but then you ended up with like the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. You know, and that took off, and so then there was a Santa Claus one and two, and then of course Elf, um, kind of pushed it forward, and then Hallmark figured out that this is a way for them to yeah. get a bunch of people who normally would be reading sappy little uh, romance novels uh, that they bought at Walmart to to just watch them on television for an hour and a half, but nonstop from like November first yeah. on. My, I have a friend who uh, he he's a connoisseur of the of of the what I would consider to be the bad Christmas movie, mm-hmm. and watches them every year and he has a you know breaks him he has he, he could do a podcast on this because he he has four or five themes that they all fit into and, and not my thing but but yeah but i remember wanting to see rudolph every year that was exciting that it's a fun little story um frosty the snowman was okay i didn't like it nearly as much um the um and of course Charlie Brown Christmas. I mean, I was upset yeah. when Apple bought it because I was like, okay, that you know, you're taking that out of the the public realm for it to just be there every year. Yeah. So now we have Clark Griswold to tell us the the true meaning of Christmas, mm-hmm. which is not the same. <laughs> yeah, not as not as wholesome, I would say, probably. No, no. Um, it is interesting because, like, if you look at when you were a kid. They did have Christmas specials from cartoons all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as we were looking at the options for this week, most of the, the Scooby-Doo Christmas media has been a relatively 
modern um, concept. Because like, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, the Jetsons had a Christmas thing. Flintstones, I'm sure, did. The Smurfs, that sort of thing. But for some reason, Scooby-Doo was not one of the, uh, the go-to uh, properties to make. Maybe because Scooby-Doo had more of a formula that, like, the Flintstones doesn't. Like, the Flintstones is just a sitcom, you know? Right. And, like, every sitcom has a Christmas episode. Um, so you have, to, you have to be at least more creative to come up with a, a Christmas bit for Scooby-Doo. That's, that's true. I mean, part of it is, is you know, it, it's probably kind of hard to morph the idea of let's have a, a villain yeah. um, with Christmas. You know, yeah. that's, that's not always something that, um, that you want to, or people do. The other part of it is, is um, like you said, those others don't have that same kind of formula. And so it's easy for them to, to have a, uh, a moment. But what normally is done, and, and it's interesting that it took Scooby-Doo so long to do the same thing, is, the, is to, to riff off of Christmas Carol. Because, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a Mickey's Christmas Carol. The Muppets mm-hmm. have done it. Um, there's, you know, that's, that's usually the way of it with the, with the children's special. Somehow build it into you know, this little Dickens story. Um, as, as we were watching it the second time, I was thinking to myself, I wonder what Charles Dickens would think of, you know, not one of his novels, not right. one of those things. Here's this little story that he wrote, um, that has had such, uh, impact. Yeah. At least in American media. Um, you know, there's countless renditions of the actual story, you know, told various degrees of faithfully. You know, there's been a musical version of it. And then you've got all of these um, different ways in which from, like I said, from the Muppets doing kind of a a Muppet version of of a faithful rendering to Bill Murray and the movie Scrooged, (laughs) where where you've got either it's loosely based off of or it's a direct adaptation sort of thing. I mean, it's got to be one of the most... For sure. um, Redone you know, reinterpreted, it's like Shakespeare almost and yeah. how, how often it's kind of used as the basis for, for a story. I think there's really two. I think every TV show, <laughs> give or take, will do either A Christmas Carol or It's a Wonderful Life as an episode. Mm-hmm. They'll do one or the other. And I'll add a third. Some other sort of thing they've done where the real Santa Claus shows up somehow. Right. And nobody knows he's real until the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I think even Little House on the Prairie did that. Sure, of course. Um, and like, I've, as a kid, I always preferred the uh, Christmas Carol ones to It's a Wonderful Life. For some reason, I just feel like I've never seen a good TV episode that does It's a Wonderful Life in a in a way that isn't annoying. Um, but there's something so, I guess it, it is a testament to the the integrity of the story itself because it's very easy for it's a wonderful life to be messed up, I guess. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, like that, 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 the reason why that movie works so well is a perfect storm of, of like having the single most likable actor of all time playing a, a, a very flawed person makes it much more of a, a uh, an easy story to attach yourself to. Yeah. You could, if you were doing it today, or maybe in the last twenty years, if you if that movie had never been made and somebody was going to make it, Tom Hanks would have to be right. the the lead. Exactly. Uh, the George Bailey, and um, um, and Alec Baldwin probably would have played Mr. Potter. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but 
but no, I think I, you're right. There's there's something about the the literary, and maybe that's part of it is it's literary versus visual, right? Um, originally, and so you're 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 adapting a, a screenplay of some sort from a written story that's probably a little bit easier to do than, I mean, well, I mean, you're seeing it now with the response West Side Story is getting, you know, based off of changes that are being made to it when you're when you're doing something that's that sort of visual performance media and you change it, um, it doesn't always, I, I haven't seen it, so I'm not, I'm not making a comment about the new version of West Side Story. I'm just saying it, it's interesting that that does not, is not as easily done as another adaptation of a really well-written novel or, or, right. or story. There's probably somebody who's done a doctoral work on that, but, but, uh, sure. But like I say, every, like any, almost, you know, with the exception of somebody like Seinfeld, um, everybody who's who's had a TV show for a while, um, yeah. some sometime the writers get whether it's creative or lazy or, yeah. <laughs> or the network just says we want a Christmas special and they go all right um, what do we do and somebody's gonna say there's always Scrooge yeah <laughs> so. um, I think I think a, a part of it is like <laughs> when you when you look at the at the two options. Uh, if you're going to go, to suddenly throw all of this baggage onto a character of your sitcom and make them inherently unlikable, you have to make them unlikable for them to fit in as Scrooge or George Bailey at the beginning of the story. Right. Right. Uh, it's much easier to to say, okay, maybe they don't like Christmas because they have this you know hang up or whatever, than it is to be like, I hate everyone around me and I don't want to be in this world anymore. You right. Know what I mean? right. Like, <laughs> the most important thing for me is to get away from all of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 That's a little harder to, to play out, particularly if you've been building for two or three years, this, this little network of relationships. That, yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. Um, and then of course you can always, the, the best part of it is you can always go with the, uh, the dream sequence, you know, mm-hmm. where they, they were just dreaming the whole thing. I found interesting that, they didn't. They, there's no setup in mm-hmm. Scroogey Do. You know, there's yes. there's this little little bit of, hey, this is going to be basically a story about Ebenezer Scrooge, but but they don't explain why the gang is. You know, they're they're obviously Victorian gang, or yeah. I, I don't know if 1848 counts as Victorian yet, but but you know, it's it's mid-century, um, mid-1800s London. And they're just there yeah. as as mid eighteen hundreds London versions of themselves. And there's no like we didn't do time travel, yeah. we didn't do dream sequence, we haven't done anything to explain how this is happening. It's just boom, as yeah. if in whether it's parallel universes or 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 just these five, you know, almost like Mr. Ink. These yeah. five characters are always going to end up together yeah. somehow in every single lifetime. Yeah. Um. Past and future guest Jack Reed was on the show, um, and he at the end end of his episode, he was on the puppet episode, and he asked, he had a question where he was like, "What would you want your ideal um, rendition of Scooby Doo to be?" And he came with an answer, which was his idea was to have a show in which each episode is set in a different time period, and the gang just exists in that time period and are solving a, a mystery. And watching this, which is what you're saying, like they are just, they just exist in, in, you know, 19th century England is that idea. And I think it works very well because they are such an elemental group of characters. Like they're not, aren't, 
they're already not modern at all because they've been stuck in 1969 for the entire thing. Like they've been trying to, they've been chasing how to modernize these extremely like bare bones, clean cut teenagers from you know, yeah. the the 60s. So if you can already take them and put them anywhere or into any story, you know, like you could do this in you know the Wizard of Oz or any any like classic story and and have the story be happening in the background which is kind of what's happening here and still and have the gang you know going on a mission trying to unmask the wicked witch or whatever it would be kind of funny i was i was just picturing where you're you know the wizard of oz it would be kind of funny them trying to get to the emerald city and and figure out what's the deal with the the with the wizard yeah before before dorothy and the others get there you know and i mean Flying monkeys and 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 Shaggy and Scooby would be a fun sequence. You know? Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, the the characters are part of the reason why it works so well and why they can continue to reboot it. You know, every so many years to, for um, for whatever purpose is that it that they are they're they're archetypal. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to kind of tweak the archetype just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that's given them, um, which makes them a little ahead of their time, honestly, and has given them great staying power and being able to be rebooted, uh, and it's shown in this epi- or in this particular episode, Velma is the brains of the operation. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't normal in the 60s to make a cartoon where, where one of the girls would have been the smart one. Right. And... Um, but that's also enabled it to continue to be able to be redone because it's it's original. Yeah. And you can just make the girls smarter, you know, you can make Velma even smarter along the way and it and as our society has become better at at not stereotyping girls as not being able to do math and science and and, and those sorts of things, uh, and, and rightly so, um, better at not thinking in those those ways and giving everybody a shot, it it's been able to move along with it. As a result, yeah, um, it would. You know, it, it's interesting. The Simpsons are the same kind of thing, yeah. Because the 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 household grouping, you know, mom, dad, uh, two, you know, brother, sister who are very different and yet similar, mm-hmm. and then baby that you doesn't have any, you know, is just there. The ex, the third child, um, that can continue to go on for, you know, until everybody who's associated with it decides they want to stop or, or maybe never, like it may never end yeah. <laughs> in terms of making episodes, but that's because there's nothing, you know, the dynamic of parents and, and children don't change very much. And everybody knows the, Hey, this is uh, you know, when you really think about it, the base of it is Bart gets bored in school and, and he's a, a smart guy, but a, a trickster and, and, not this isn't a podcast about the Simpsons, but it works yeah, because of course. it keeps working no matter what you do. And then you're just putting social commentary for your for your particular, you know, zeitgeist uh, yeah. on top of it. It's, it's really it works out brilliantly that way. I agree. I agree completely. Um, so, yeah, I gave you ran down the list of the different Christmas episodes and gave you the options. And we even watched a couple of them to decide. Uh, so what made you pick this one over the other options. Well, the first one that we watched was called The Nutcracker Scoob, mm-hmm. and it comes from um, probably without question the worst period of time in the animated series of 
of, of Scooby-Doo. Um, I didn't realize when I was a kid, perhaps, just how awful it was, although I know I didn't like it as much as the previous ones. But it's it's when you don't have... that one. This one actually has Fred, which is nice, but you have no Fred and Velma, and you have Scrappy-Doo. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I mentioned to you the other day, I, I don't hate the Scrappy-Doo character as much as so many other people do, but at the same time, it doesn't work with just... When it's just he and, and Scooby and Shaggy or Daphne, Scooby, Shaggy, and it, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And, and that is, it was almost unwatchable. It's not good. <laughs> it no. was just awful. Um, and, and then we watched, uh, um, the other one we watched was from. It was an original holiday special. Right. Uh, called Scooby-Doo Haunted Holidays. Uh, and. Yes, and and the reason and, and it was good. I mean, it was it was entertaining. It was it was the right sort of. It, it was a Scooby Doo episode. Mm-hmm. Now you know I mentioned to you when it was when we'd watched it and this one. What I finally settled on this one was uh, versus that one is that one comes from a a time where the villain basically is is a snowman mm-hmm. and. And I have a little bit of an issue with, and this may be why Christmas uh, and Scooby-Doo didn't work very well together, because you only got, you can make Santa Claus an evil character. People don't like that. Um, you can do it in a movie every so once in a while, but but if you do it in a kid's cartoon, that's not good. Yeah. Uh, people will write letters. <laughs> and Or, you, you know, your other choices are um, snow, snowmen, you know. Well, ah, I... They stay in one place, <laughs> you know, and and this particular snow monster does these things that are that are that just go beyond being able to suspend your imagination. Like it's if you if you know at the end it's going to be a dude or a dudette in a costume, right? Right? They can't have created this thing that does this stuff, you know. Like this one's morphing into giant spidery things and then becoming a snowman again and just. Doing stuff that's just not possible. And for me, I'm not saying that's good or bad. For me, I can't suspend my disbelief enough to enjoy that at the end of the day. Right. Um, and so, so I went with this one. And I think you picked the, the right choice. I think this is a great uh, time. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and get into Scroogey Doo, uh, which, yeah, as we've said, this is set in the reality of A Christmas Carol. It is 1843, and, uh, like, we open with basically one of the opening scenes of uh, the story A Christmas Carol. Um, It's when Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by the ghost of his ex-partner, Jacob Marley. Um, And right immediately you can tell that this rendition of Scooby-Doo is much more comedic in tone because we have this great little interplay between Scrooge and Marley where where Scrooge is just belittling the ghost as he is trying to warn him of these things and pestering him. Yeah, all, all around the idea of, of, of how um, remarkably outside of the norms of society the ghost is acting. Yeah. You know, you just show up. I didn't know you were coming. Um, when he says that, you know, I'm trying to help you like get over your, 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 your petty greed. 
and and he says, so now we're, we're we're just you know we're resorting to name calling on top of all these other socially unacceptable things that you've done in the last two minutes. It was hilarious. Like it, uh, you know, without going through it line by line, it is a really great bit um, at the beginning that can't help but make you laugh because yeah. it's it's so outside of what a person how a person should react to a ghost. You know, it, they shouldn't react with, "I didn't let you in. Why are you here?" Yeah. So I actually have information that I have not revealed to you up until this point. Um, but I'm assuming you found this episode funny. I did. I did too. Very funny episode. Whole show I think is funny. Very underrated show. But what you don't know is that the head writer for Be Cool Scooby-Doo was one of the main writers for Phineas and Ferb, a program that you and I both greatly enjoy. Um, yes. Like one of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid and that was one that you were always kind enough to watch with me because both of us thought that it was clever. It was, it was very clever. Very clever. That, now that you say that, I can, I can see that because uh, some of, the, um, some of the, 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 the pace of the, of the jokes and the, um, there's a, uh, the, the way the jokes are set up, <laughs> I, I, I'm beginning to think, okay, now I see how that, that works. Um, yeah, no, I loved me some Phineas and Ferb. For sure. Uh, enjoyed that a lot. Uh, I, I got sucked in, as you know, just because I'm a big James Bond fan. And the whole idea of, of uh, Doofenshmirtz versus right. versus Perry was, it was you know, this little little takeoff of 007 that, that just made me watch it. And then the rest of it was just funny, too. And Phineas and Ferb may be the only other show that is as beholden to formula as Scooby-Doo. In the sense of doing <laughs> the exact same thing every single time and still feeling fresh and creative. Um so, yeah. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll throw a third one in there that fits into that category. And that would be Pinky and the Brain. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing tonight, Pinky? Or Brain? We're trying to take over the world. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, Scrooge is pestering. Marley, Marley seems like a jovial guy, clearly voiced by Frank Welker, being very nice. And then he, uh, he turns into a scary ghost version of the already ghost. Jacob Marley. Yes, yes. So much so that um, it, when the next time we see Scrooge, he's he's camouflaged himself in a giant pile of gold coins. Mm-hmm. Really, it has, a, it has affected him greatly. Um, and we cut to the the you know the theme song, and we're back with uh, introduction to the gang. I love. I very much appreciate that they are American, that they're not mm-hmm. doing uh, British voices. I think that that could have gone poorly. Um, you know, not that I don't trust the, the voice cast to be able to pull that off, but, you know, it would have been weird. Um, but, yeah, so they are on vacation in uh, on holiday in England for the Science and Reason Symposium, where Velma is going to give a talk. Um, but uh, Fred is just excited to be in a new place because he's, as always, taken with the spirit of mystery. Yes, which is a running, um, a, a running bit, but also a significant um, emotional through line through this episode is the idea of the spirit of mystery of what what propels our intrepid heroes to want to solve a mystery everywhere they go, and and he's excited. Um, Absolutely, that's what's happening, and he's excited to be in England because what he has found in, in his native land is that so often 
the mysteries that they're trying to solve are really just, you know, things that raccoons have done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which also becomes a, a bit through the uh, through the whole episode. But yeah, the spirit of mystery that that brings them all together, and and of course you get the the little joke uh, um, that he seems to have fallen asleep and woken up in England, and and Shaggy points out that he hit his head when they first got on the boat, and he missed a whole month of his life. Yeah, and he pulls his top hat off, and you see the the worst, um, you know. Uh, uh, lump in a head ever it's yeah. a huge it almost looks like a cone head it's so bad yeah it's, and that explains the contusion <laughs> yeah it's great it's great um and uh yeah so the first thing that they have to do is they have to exchange their american money for british currency um so they stop at uh at what's the name of the scrooge is like it's got a name uh jake uh, it's marley and and uh it's marley and scrooge or is it Marley and Associates? Maybe something maybe it's like Marley that? and Associates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, they, so they stop by there. Uh, Bob Cratchit is working his nails to the bone. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, with the, with the great line for all of the people who don't enjoy where they work. Welcome to my endless nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> Lots of people can relate to <laughs> this. Is, this this is the drudgery of my life. <laughs> I do love the uh, the idea because like so often. Cratchit is, is painted as this very moralistic, like 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 stand up. Even in even in the worst circumstances of working for Scrooge, he's still a nice guy who's who's happy to be there. And I like that they're just like, no, this would be awful. Are you kidding? It's Christmas Eve, and he's here for no reason. Right. No one has ever needed a union more than than yeah. than Bob Cratchit. Exactly. <laughs> he wants one. They don't have him yet, but he wants one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, there's a there's a fun bit where. Not only does he have a kid named Tiny Tim, he's got a bunch of kids named all different sizes of Tims, and one named Greg. And, and, and two twins named Middle Tim and Middle Tim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Funny stuff. And, uh, yeah, they, he says that only Scrooge is authorized to handle the money, so they go upstairs, and as you say, he's hidden in a Scrooge McDuck money pile of, of gold coins, but he's always happy to assist a... Um, customer makes some money even though he's frightened of ghosts yes and he mentions that that there are you know he's experienced ghosts and and then we get the sort of one of the classic things from the from any of the series where shaggy and scooby are immediately on guard for Mm -hmm. oh no here we go again Mm -hmm. yeah velma's of course skeptical immediately but fred is excited to dig into this because of the spirit of mystery is guiding him to solve the mystery um Scrooge is wary, you know. He's throwing out bah humbugs, even though he doesn't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. And uh, and but he's willing to let them work for free. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> because I say we don't even charge yeah. for what we do. Yep. Um, but we go to now. They're going to investigate the house. We meet Scrooge's uh, his uh, housemaid. Mrs. Blackwhite, who's this old crone character who's uh, terrifying and very funny in her little characterization. I found her <laughs> very amusing. Right before we meet her, though, when they're, when they're in the house and it's all barren, mm-hmm. and, and Daphne's looking around and says, your house seems to be really devoid of things that make people happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not yeah, it's not it's not a cheery place to no. be for Christmas time, without question. <laughs> um uh but 
Yes, Mrs. Blackwhite is there. She is a potential suspect, of course. Um, what did you think of what, depending on how you view it, it's either like a, a vaudeville-style gag or a Mel Brooks-style gag where he tells her to go straighten up. You know, mm-hmm. Ebenezer says, go straighten up, meaning, you know, we have company, straighten up, whatever. And, and she uncrooks herself and stands a little yes. tall and says, how's this? It's good, right. It is, it is a very Brooksian uh, joke, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Whole I, Everything about that character, I think, is very funny. It's just a funny image always, is the twisted old British woman, like, literally twisted. Mm-hmm. In her literally twisted. <laughs> um, and then we meet our, another potential suspect, which is Dr. Bugley. He's dropped in because obviously Scrooge is beside himself and he's uh, he's gonna investigate the you know what could be the cause he sees that the gang are here from from overseas and, and inspects uh, Velma's trunk with all of their their uh, locations that they've been and, and deduces that they may have brought uh, Latvian brain fever overseas um which you know obviously is a, is a real thing sounds sounds like a sounds like an illness that probably the pandemic of 18 1843 mm-hmm. was latvian brain fever mm-hmm. yeah um but now it's time to investigate the rest of the house we get a very great moment because obviously flashlights have not been invented yet so the gang all, all brings out their their candles and lanterns and and it takes a while to, to light them all up. And, uh, and <laughs> Fred even says, light them up. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really funny. And this is, this is the kind of thing. It's what Jack was talking about, is that you have the opportunity to make jokes you couldn't make otherwise in different time periods. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It, uh, yeah, no, it's funny. And then they're, you know, they have to walk through in their shadows. One of the things that... Um, um, Oh, that's that comes in a minute. I'm sorry, I started to mention something Scooby said, but but we'll get to it later. Um, jokes that you get to make in these kind of situations, but the the imagery of them walking around inside the the place and and with the candles, it's it's good. It's great. Yeah, it's classic Scooby Doo stuff. One of the things about um, about this particular kind of animation style that I find interesting, um, and I'm. You know I'm no expert on animation. But what I noticed is, is they have these half-lidded eyes mm-hmm. that happen a lot. And sometimes it's the upper half. The upper lid is what you see. And sometimes it's the lower lid. And everybody seems too big for the for a room or a hallway. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't know why that is. I mean, obviously it's drawn that way. But I don't know if that's a particular style or has a name or anything like that. But, but you notice it. You know, when they're walking in the hallway, they seem much larger than the hallway itself i mean there's no way you would have picked up on this but like this art style it drew criticism whenever the show came out because it is very similar to like every other cartoon that was on cartoon network at the time like it was kind of a house style that they had Mm -hmm. uh, for a while um and this was sort of seen as like a a bridge too far because of how unattractive all of the characters are like they're not nice to look at in any way um you know that's true except for maybe scooby sure but uh but yes <clears throat> the others <laughs> they have weird noses yeah and uh yeah no i can see that 
No, you say the proportions are, are bizarre. But yeah, I I think that I mean nobody really watched this show, um, and it was kind of it was both basically buried by the network and uh, and anyone who would have been interested at the time, like who may have been classic animation fans or something, were just so turned off by like, oh, it's a comedic show and like it's it's very comedic more than any other Scooby Doo show, and like the art style is just like any other Cartoon Network show. They've they've just modernized it for no reason right Um, right but i think that this show is easily the most underrated of them because i think pretty much all of the episodes are good um i think that it just happens to not look the way you might expect scooby-doo to look like sure Uh, and like you say i wouldn't know anything about that my question to you would be is part of that because you just came off of what was considered to be critically uh special and and a unique way of doing Scooby-Doo. Mystery Incorporated was the one yes. right before this, right? Yes. And so there you had a very artistic, um, very different style of animation from anything they'd ever done. You had a, a, for the first time, you had a story that was carrying through the entire, you had the individual episodes, yeah. but you also had an overarching story. And so that was this this unique way of, of reimagining the, um, the show you even left Scooby-Doo out of the title yeah. <laughs> so much. And and this seems like a, uh, and probably, I mean, don't you think by design no, yeah, it was yeah. 180 it was degree swing. Yeah, it was intentionally. They're going to go much way. more comedic because the other one was funny, but in a very dark sort of way. Um, and and so it, it kind of, it makes sense when you think about it in that sense. But maybe there were a lot of people that really liked what they had done and they'd branched out so far that then they were very disappointed that they, yeah, that they kind of went back. Felt like it was going backwards, maybe. Definitely. Does that sound right? No, definitely for sure. I mean, this show came out only like two years after uh, after Mr. Incorporated ended. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely seems like oh, okay. So you had the coolest idea you've had, and now you're having what would be considered a very cheap idea. But I do think that it is actually a, a very well written show, um, and I will say. Because I've been vocal on this on this show about this before, that my problem, my only problem with Be Cool Scooby Doo is Velma. I think that generally, she is the downside to the show, but she is the, the star of the show here, and they really do great things with her. I really like Velma in this episode, and I think that this is a great format for that character. Because usually in the others, she's very rude and like a Debbie Downer in every situation, um, and in the other episodes it doesn't necessarily feel like they are friends because they're kind of mean to each other all the time making fun Mm. of each other whereas in this one it is all about how they are friends and they have to realize that like by the end of the episodes Velma has to realize how much she loves her friends and enjoys solving mysteries with them right so I think that this is like the platonic ideal it's a creative idea for a an episode it's a it's a it's a kind of a deconstruction of the formula in general and is like a, a wonderful way to use this character of Velma, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, a, f- a fantastic episode of this show, I would say. One of the best that they've got. I don't know that I've ever seen an episode of Be Cool. I would be surprised if you had. Uh, other than this. And and to me, um, just visually seeing it, like if I'm if I'm flipping through and I see the, the, the art or the imagery, mm-hmm. to me... And this isn't fair to either one of them, but what's new Scooby-Doo and Be Cool Scooby-Doo to me seem like the natural continuation of one another in some way. Um, it's just, 
a modern version of the yeah. older thing. Um, but I, I enjoyed the, the, the humor. Yeah. Um, that was a different, different side of it. Um, that, uh, you don't normally see. Normally it's sight gags and it's, you know, it's variations on, on the, on the startled by the ghost or the ghost gets fooled by something ridiculous. Like, you know, Hey, we, we all dressed as in the nativity scene. That was in one of the other ones that we, that we saw where they, they, they went into a nativity scene, but, uh, or, you know, breathing fire because you've eaten too many chili peppers or something right. like that. Um, but then this is where the episode really kind of, uh, shifts into into what it's really about which is where velma bumps into the ghost of christmas past Mm -hmm. and the ghost of christmas past takes her into her own past suddenly she is the is at the center of the christmas carol and um you know we we see her she's in like a, a you know a log cabin situation a very American pioneer town uh, vibe, and and you got little little Velma working on uh, on blackboard with all kinds of equations. She says that she's almost at at solving the toilet paper conundrum. Do you know what the toilet paper conundrum is, Dad? I do not know what the toilet paper conundrum is. It is the idea that uh, that statistically speaking. When you go to use the restroom, it is more likely that you that you will be the last one to to be at the last end of the toilet paper roll than uh, than not. So, so the toilet paper conundrum is is the notion that mathematically, anytime you go to use the restroom, you're more likely to be at the end of the roll than at the beginning. Yes. Or the middle. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so she's solving this, even though toilet paper has not been invented yet, of course. So, 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 so we're so basically what you're telling me is that Velma is so smart mm-hmm. that she is not only conceived of the notion of toilet paper, yes, but that there will be a mathematical probability mm-hmm. that you'll always be closest to the end, and how do we fix that problem? Yes. So she's inventing things. And determining the, the future problem of the thing and solving that problem before anything's ever been yes. invented. Pretty smart. She's very smart. She's very smart. I mean, it's it's called the conundrum. It's it's like it can't be solved. It's not called like like the toilet paper equation. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. It's a problem. Um, but there's a knock at the door, and who is it but the the kids from down the street? Yeah, Fred. Fred has come to invite her to join the others that he has already mm-hmm. presumably come to and knocked on their door and said, hey, I, I want you guys to help me in the spirit of mystery to to solve these these things. And and then you get this great gag that's maybe a little unfair to the nerdy kids of the world. Yeah. Um, where, where Daphne says, your mom seemed really, really happy that you had friends over. Yeah. And, and this was the thing I was going to say that Scooby said that's a joke that you get to do in this scenario that you don't always get to do. Yeah, uh, Shaggy said she she gave us cookies if we get you out of the house. <laughs> Scooby says he hardly ever talks in this particular episode. He says, we're easily bought. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's um, And, uh, you know, Fred comes in, erases her, her equation, and... He says, you know, we're solving the mystery of who stole the Christmas pie. And he's 
He's like, we found these clues left behind at the spot, and it's raccoon markings. Right. He says it's some sort of, I think it's a code. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and Velma very quickly is like, no, it's a raccoon. So we get proof of what he said at the beginning that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, and that, you know, the rest is history, right? Right. But then the ghost of Christmas past points out that because she was so taken with the spirit of mystery, who knows what sort of inventions he missed out on, on discovering and inventing and and what innovation she she did not she did not cause. That's right. That's right. And and sets up some begins to create inner uh, inner turmoil mm-hmm. uh, in her. Uh, two things. One, I, I did appreciate the sort of Zen moment where when the the ghost of, of the path of Christmas past says you you you've ruined your destiny, and Velma very logically replies. It's my destiny is where I end up. How can I have uh, how can I have ruined it? Like it, it's yeah. it's still my destiny, and you know, and the ghost is like, don't you know, don't don't bring your reason into this. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm trying to get you upset. You yeah, um, I want you to feel something. But I made this note uh, toward the end of the whole episode, having watched it the second time, and I want to give the episode credit because two things. One. Um, as you mentioned, Velma suddenly is the protagonist mm-hmm. of not just this show, this episode, but she's the protagonist of A Christmas Carol, yes. right? And that's a different way to do this than what usually happens. Usually you get some sort of straight retelling, as we talked about in the, you know, some ad- adaptation, but your characters are now those characters, you know? It's like Chandler Bing is suddenly Bob Cratchit, you yeah. know, if friends were to do a, a Scrooge episode and, and Ross, you know, would be Scrooge. Um, but, but in this case, they have that story going on in the background. Yes. And she's now just also suddenly become part of that story or experiencing that same story, but for her. Yes. And so that was a, that was a clever way to do it. And, but what I want to really give them props for is that it's functioning on a deeper level than maybe you give it credit for when you just watch it, because everything that's happening now is is it's a play on what is would be the character of Velma's deep issue, which is feeling uh, invisible and resenting it. Like that that's that's the thing deep down inside psychologically that's in Velma. And yeah. it drives the I'm gonna be really good at things, I'm gonna be really smart, like and the way she kind of pushes people away with some sarcasm, like all of that is it, it, it's really deep character study that's happening in twenty two minutes of animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just I, I'm impressed by that. I agree. Yeah, I do. I do agree with what you're saying. I love that that, like you said, the Christmas Carol is happening in the background. Like, 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 you know, Ebenezer Scrooge comes downstairs and is like, "Hey, you know, while you were doing that, I just got visited by the ghost of Christmas past, and she took me back to my childhood and this girl that I loved, and all these things, and I'm, I'm feeling regret." <laughs> right, and 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 this ongoing gag that they do with him that's just hilarious. Where it's it's what's that word for? Because he doesn't, he's he's a cold person. He doesn't yeah. know how to express emotions. They did it first with the uh, with the, the first time the gag comes up is with Miss Blackwhite, where he's like, "We have those. What's that word for people that are in your home that you want to leave?" And they go, um, "Guess." <laughs> and here it's like, "Well, it's that word for that feeling of I wish I'd done things a little differently, or you know." They're like regret, and he's like, "Yes, regret." <laughs> so, and every time, I mean, it hits every time they do yeah. it. it. It doesn't get tired. It's really good. Um, but yeah, so we're going to call the halfway point here. All right. And, and pause the discussion of Scroogey-Doo to play a little game 
that you know so well. This game is called to uh, Scooby or not Scooby. Coming up next, it's Be Cool Scooby-Doo. Way this game works is I collect a series of titles, some of which will be from an episode of Scooby-Doo, mm-hmm. and some will be from something else. And I wanted to give you a fair shake by picking a cartoon from your youth mm. this time. So is it an episode of Scooby-Doo or an episode of Super Friends? <laughs> okay. So I know that you've seen. Yes. So here we go. A lot of Super Friends, by the way. I was shocked by how how many episodes of Super Friends there were. <laughs> um, so could be anything. Here we go. The Creature from the Dump. The Creature from the Dump. The Dump. Scooby-Doo. I'm afraid not. This is uh, an episode of The Super Friends. I, of course, have synopses for you. A junk creature forms after two kids hanging around a dump inadvertently make a mysterious chemical reaction occur. When Batman gets affected by the uh, chemicals, he also turns into a junk creature. The junior super friends try to find a way to get Batman back to normal. The junior super friends would be um, the Wonder Twins. Yes. Yeah. What was their... Like, one did water. What did the other one do? Yeah, so they would... Whenever they were doing their thing, they would would punch... They would knuckle punch each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And and say Wonder Twin powers activate. So they obviously they both had to be present and they had to, and one of them could shape shift into any animal. Yes. And the other one could only do some form of water. Yeah. Um, which seems like the worst superpower ever. Yeah. <laughs> but they made it work. Usually when they wanted to transport someplace, literally the one would turn into an eagle, mm-hmm. would have a bucket, and the <laughs> other one would become water and get in the yeah. bucket and then fly yeah. them to wherever they were going. I don't know why he didn't then change into ice also to, you know, not spill any of himself out. But <laughs> I always kind of wonder, if, you know, what happens when he... Anyhow. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe Super Friends, with all the great villains of, you know, you, you have your, you have your pick of every villain in the DC universe and mm-hmm. you decide to make a junk monster from the dump. I mean, hey, they were inventing their own uh, enemy there. Um, how about Once Upon a Poltergeist? Scooby-Doo. This is another Super friend. Oh my goodness, I'm over for 2. At the Wayne Building in Gotham City, a confused spirit of a Mohawk Indian terrorizes the area due to his belief that the building sits on top of an ancient burial site. Batman, Robin, and Apache Chiefs battle the spirit, but its power is greater. Apache Chief eventually finds the true burial ground and instantly... The Indian spirit apologizes for his destruction and peacefully fades away. Well, they wouldn't have made that one today, would they? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like the show was actually very progressive for having an Indian character on the show. But the way that they, uh, like a Native American character, but the way that they uh, handle those storylines, perhaps not the most, uh, you know, progressive way no doubt in some sort of deep overly white man voice toward the end Batman says something about how wonderful it is that the spirit left in peace as you know you would expect Native Americans to do therefore further stereotyping them Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah Uh, ghosts this is what they do Robin (laughs) (laughs) ghosts of the ancient astronauts it's so funny how this show works you, I've, I've, I've been in this moment before. 
I've listened to other people in this moment. And you get into this, this thing where you start to just second guess yourself all the time. Game theory, though, would say, I need to just keep powering through what I'm, what I'm same guess. Scooby-Doo. This is a Scooby-Doo. The kids, get a load of this one, frankly. Uh, the kids are on a South American expedition with Velma's uncle, Professor Cosmo Dinkley, to recover the Celestial Orb, a baseball-sized ruby that has a map to the Lost Temple of Sirius. The temple is believed to have been built by the ancient astronauts and is filled with secrets and treasure. It soon seems that they are not the only ones searching. Professor Dinkley's ex-assistant Harriet Mullins is lurking in the background, waiting to steal the orb. Wow. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on there. Mm -hmm. That's another two-part special of the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries, a la the Nutcracker Scoob. So I'm sure it... uh, I'm sure it was, it was wonderful. wonderful. Yes, the animation was probably really watchable too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It probably didn't look at all like some sort of fourth grader had drawn it on a notebook paper in their in their in their third period rest class. Yep. <laughs> the makeup monster. Okay, so we're at a Super Friends episode. It would be some sort of strange sort of sexist chauvinistic thing from the 70s where their makeup is is causing the women to to you know i don't know think for themselves or or maybe just become like stepford wives um and and diana prince would end up buying some of the makeup and so they would have to you know rescue wonder woman from from a fate worse than death being a housewife um if it's a Scooby-Doo episode, it's got to be centered around Daphne in some way. Um, I'm still gonna. I'm gonna just Scooby-Doo. This is a super friend, but you didn't give him enough credit. A disgruntled makeup man on the set of a movie discovers a formula that allows him to make himself into any mo- powerful monster he chooses. With the formula, he wreaks havoc and wrecks the movie studio, and only Batman, Robin, and The Flash dare to challenge him. Wow. So what would be the... What would be the... Robin would have to say something. You know, mm-hmm. holy something, Batman. I don't know. I'm no good with the, with the Robin puns, but I'm sure there were at least two. We're halfway done. You've got one right. <laughs> I've got one right. Uh, maybe your decision to just say Scooby-Doo over and over again isn't going to work out because you know that some of them will not be Scooby-Doo's. <laughs> In theory, they're split down the middle. I never said that. That's true. You've never said that. <laughs> I will say that uh, that you have done a very good job of picking some some titles from Super Friends that there's no way that they seem like they would be, you know, a Batman, Robin, Superman, yeah, it's not Aquaman. Like, uh, yeah, I didn't pick the, the Joker you know, takes over the circus. Right. There's no, the jokes on you or riddle me this, or, you know, something like the Legion of doom. The dinosaur deception. Scooby-Doo. This is a Scooby-Doo. The gang go to visit Dr. LaRue, a paleontologist in San Pablo, Mexico, who excavated a dinosaur that has come to life. The dinosaur is now scaring everyone off, but why? And does it have anything to do with the lost silver mine of Montezuma? <gasps> okay. All right. 
They love themselves some some Central Mexico. Uh-huh. Yeah. Garden of Doom. See, now I think you're trying to trick me by saying Garden of Doom. Saying it that way, because that'll make me think. You're right. And there's not extra O's in the name. It's just Garden of Doom. I was just giving it a little... Uh, <laughs> I know, but... <laughs> But see, you got the Legion of Doom, mm-hmm. which would make. I'm going to actually say this is a Super Friends. This is a Super Friends. A scientific experiment accidentally turns plants into monsters. That's about right. Mm-hmm. How about Theater of Doom? <laughs> um. See, so I'm going to break with my own scheme here. I'm going to Super Friends again. This one's a Scooby Doo. Oh, there you go. The gang helped Vincent Van Gogh with a play of Crystal Cove's history, which is being haunted by a specter. Meanwhile, Professor Pericles instructs Brad and Judy on how to steal the planispheric disc back from the gang. Wow. A little mystery ink mm-hmm. down the stretch. Vincent Van Gogh. All right. Last one. Last one. Fairy Tale of Doom. <laughs> um... Super Friends. Yes. With the Toy Man's help, the Legion of Doom transports three of the Super Friends into the pages of three storybooks where they will remain forever unless they escape within 12 hours. I remember this episode. This is one I had as a kid. And I remember thinking it was a good idea for an episode. Four and four. There you go. Hit 500. Mm-hmm. Not Hit bad since I started 0 and 2. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next, it's more Be Cool Scooby-Doo. All right, so back to Scroogey-Doo. What a title. Um, more investigating is going to happen here as the gang splits up and Fred and, and Velma are going to Dr. Bugley's to investigate while he is upstairs tending to, uh, to Ebenezer. Um... He has a great line where he says, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with any of you that a good cup of mercury can't solve. Um, just funny. It is funny. Uh, and Fred replies, we'll call you when, when the telephone is invented. Mm-hmm. Um, while they are in uh, Dr. Buckley's, they find some letters from Bob Cratchit, which are, are to Ebenezer Scrooge, pleading him to consider paying for Tiny Tim's medical bill. Yes, apparently healthcare was an issue in 1843, just as it is mm-hmm. all the time. Yep, yep. Uh, I would, I would believe that. Uh, they find a whole number of of, uh, of prescriptions written for for Scrooge because he seems to be a bit of a hypochondriac. Right, including a great gag, and one of those examples of a gag that is really for any adult who happens to be watching, because mm-hmm. most of the kids aren't going to get it, or maybe a teenager is going to get it, but. You know, stuff you would expect, and menopause is just thrown in as a mm-hmm. word. Like, he's been treated for menopause. Yeah. <laughs> De- he definitely seems to be paranoid. Cause, yes. You know. um, but yeah, so, so Velma um, leaves Fred alone in the, uh, in the, to, to do the investigating because they have this whole interplay where Velma's like asking Fred if there's anything more to to life than solving mysteries, you know? Right. And Fred uh, Fred is incapable of thinking of anything 
possible. Doesn't even understand the question. Yeah. <laughs> she has a, a, I don't understand what you're saying. What could you possibly mean? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the entire existence of a question is a mystery that needs to be solved. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. So she, she leaves him to continue doing what he's doing. And out on the street, she encounters the ghost of Christmas present. Yes. Which is always dressed the same way. Mm -hmm. It's interesting um, to me. One of the things is back to that staying power of the story. Um, And it's when does this episode come out? 2016. Okay. So 2016. It's interesting that there's, there's a little bit of explanation as they go written into it. But generally speaking, there's this base assumption that anybody who starts to watch this show uh, is going to know, even just from the title, if we say Scroogey Do, yeah. everybody's going to go, oh, we're doing a Christmas Carol. Yeah. You know? And uh, and it's it's just fascinating to me that that's still, it's assumed that that's so ingrained in our cultural heritage that, that anybody in 2016 would need no real setup other than this is the story of Scrooge. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, I know that one. Yeah. Because um, it's got to be... 150 years after it was written maybe not quite that long but a long more than 100 for sure um because obviously it was written before the 1900s and um anyhow so that's that's pretty wild um and the and the I, i was thinking about this too that it's there's always this rhythm of it's the ghost of christmas past is always a girl the ghost of Christmas present is always a heavy set dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As though the current Christmas is always a festival of binocula of a you know, what's that Bacchanal. word? Bacchanal. Bacchanal yeah. and, and and consumption. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> it is it is funny. because <laughs> um, yeah, you're right, like the ghost of Christmas past kind of can be different things based on your uh, your um what you want to do with your your designs? It's usually a woman, though, mm-hmm. or a girl, you know, a little girl. But um, but yeah, it's always just a big jolly guy, right? And he's always wearing this um, large fur coat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and usually has garland in his hair. Yeah. Uh, so he takes her to the symposium, right, where she can't be seen, yeah. which is back to our our great, you know, inner turmoil of mm-hmm. I'm really truly invisible. Yeah. You know, here she's literally invisible They're in the very place that she wants, and yeah. she's not there. Right. This is great, great bit of angst for her. She's missing the, the symposium on science and reason because she's solving this silly mystery for Ebenezer Scrooge because her friends want her to. And she says, you know, my friends would never let me miss the symposium. And, uh, and the, uh, the ghost of Christmas present is like, are you so sure about that? You know, takes her back to. To the Scrooge house where they don't seem worried about her at all. Right. In fact, they've trimmed the place mm-hmm. for decoration and uh, and had a feast. Because Daphne's solution to the problem is, I'm going to make Scrooge happy or feel good yeah. with all this stuff. And you get one of the best lines ever when she says, we even cooked a feast. And Shaggy's eating and, and says it's great. Uh, best plan ever. Mm-hmm. And, Sco- and Scooby says, I vote Daphne leader. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Daphne uh, gets very little to do in this episode, which is makes sense because there are two 
there are two Christmas episodes in Be Cool Scooby-Doo, and the first one is very Daphne-centric. Um, mm. But uh, she is the star of this show. They they put the work in to, to finally give Daphne, uh, you know, enough to be, like, basically the lead of a show. Um, which is interesting because she has very little to do in this episode. Mm, Usually right. she is, like, the star player. I see. Um, it's like if... If Mystery Inc. does the does the work to make Fred finally a character that's like, like, you know, the star, the one that everyone right. has, is excited has to has like see. depth and all yeah, that kind exactly. of stuff. Then this is the one that that puts the work in to make Daphne like the fan favorite, basically. But in this particular episode, She's, Velma's front yeah, and center, exactly. and Daphne goes into the into the shadows. I see exactly. what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, so this is like our Daphne moment. She's making all the Christmas cheer and everything, and uh, and. Scrooge comes downstairs. He's been visited by the ghost of Christmas present, uh, making him feel regret for his actions. Right. What's guilty, that word? Guilty, because he can't find the word guilty. And yeah. Velma's shouting it at him. Yeah. Um, yeah, because she still is in the midst of seeing the, the thing. Right. But, but then Daphne confronts him, and it's like, you know, maybe you, you are guilty because you you gave you cheaped us out here. You gave us this fake coin. It's, right. Uh, and he says, I didn't give you that coin. I cheated you with the thirty percent transaction fee. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, this coin is one of our now the clue. It says uh, it says Gubmahab on it, which seems like gibberish. And it's a peculiar coin in that it has a hole in the middle of it, mm-hmm. so it looks very old in yes. that regard. Yeah, right. Not, you know, the Queen's sterling, which right in, you know on the on the streets those days. Right, for sure. It is not a, it is not a, 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 a penny or a, a pound. Penny, yeah. yeah, it's none of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that also sets up Fred doesn't recognize it as a clue. Yeah. To the great frustration of Velma, you should be figuring out where this coin came from. Of course, they can't hear her, um, but but she's she's again. It's that inner voice of I do all the real work around here. Yeah. Wild moment in the animation when he puts the coin on the table and they they imitate a rack focus and then they they uh, they have a sound effect where like like they make Velma and and um, and the Ghost of Christmas present they're mm-hmm. in the background and all of a sudden they're out of focus and we're just focused on the on the coin in the foreground right oh right which is obviously just a stylistic choice because there's no camera in animation right no literal camera and then we hear you know they they echo fred's voice in the background so it's as though he's very far away in this like cavern yeah you know, just to, to drill in on this on on this coin as velma's focusing on i was very impressed i was like wow look at that they're mimicking camera angles they're being such. they're yeah. being visually interesting it'd be cool to <laughs> do what a concept <laughs> um but uh but yeah uh yeah scrooge doesn't know it fred doesn't even think it's a clue and and um the spirit and you know the ghost to christmas present says Look at this. They need you more than you need them, and they're holding you back. The very spirit of mystery is holding you back because you're not at the symposium. And they're, you know, tripping over themselves here. What are you, what are, what are you even doing at this point? Yes. And then uh, she shows back up, and uh, all of a sudden, Ghost of Christmas Present is his menacing frightening version of himself so we can set up a site the classic scooby-doo chase sight gags mm-hmm. we get a, right. we get a good chase scene 
uh, a little bit of music playing, and and we're running through the hallways. Mm-hmm. And, it's like a trap remix of uh, "Deck the Halls," basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just classic good stuff. Um, this even was... down to uh, even down to a, a classic type visual imagery of um, there's these heads mm-hmm. on pedestals and. Uh, Fred, Daphne, and Velma have, have replaced themselves pretending to be the heads on the pedestal and, and mm-hmm. the ghost doesn't even recognize that they're, they're not made of stone. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, this is something that was brought back by B. Cool Scooby-Doo because um, Mystery Incorporated did not have the musical chase scene. I mean, they had chase scenes, but the idea of once per episode there's going to be a song and a, and a chase accompanied with that was brought back with this, this show. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it's just good classic stuff. You know, Shaggy and Scooby get under the mistletoe with the ghost. Right. Funny stuff. <laughs> and really, this is this is the the one part of the whole episode where where Shaggy and Scooby have something to do. Yeah. Like you talk about, you know, Daphne doesn't have much to do. Shaggy and Scooby are are totally ancillary to this episode for the yeah. most part. Scooby pops in with a with a good gag. Um, he's got some of the best lines in the episode. But uh, but you don't have a lot going on. Um, for them to do because one we're not splitting up very much they're yeah. not off by themselves trying to find food and um and getting encountering the ghost over and over again which is the normal trope yeah. um I, I don't know if trope's the right word there but that's the normal way the formula works anyway and um um you don't have that here but because uh, again it's mm-hmm. all it's what we're doing is we're going into the mind uh, we're going into the mind castle of Bellman dinkley yeah which i mean this is what i love about modern scooby-doo is that we can't take the time to just be with the other three you know they are Mm -hmm. as important to the to the story as shaggy and scooby not that i don't love shaggy and scooby but you know they had 30 years to be (laughs) to carry everything on their back (laughs) exactly (laughs) for better or worse (laughs) they're very tired (laughs) the uh one of the things that i thought was funny was um when ebenezer comes down he's trying to find the word for for guilt or regret um, Daphne says something that basically implies that regret is the spirit of Christmas. <laughs> I was like, it's like really the spirit of Christmas is regret. Like, like that's a, that's a very cynical joke, you yeah. know, but, uh, but it could be true. Could you be, know. could be. Um, so yeah, they, they send the ghost into the, into a chimney and he, like a reverse Santa Claus, he gets launched out of the top of it and, and flies in the sky. Then uh, you know Velma. Uh, Velma gets into a fight with the other with the other members of the gang. Yes, she's. She even says "Bah humbug." She does, and what's weird is it comes, um, and, and we'll learn later that there's a reason for that in the terms of the story. But um, it, it, it's almost the kind of thing you would expect in an hour long episode where we're setting up. Uh, kind of like we watched the, you and I rewatched the Scooby-Doo movie the other night, mm-hmm. or at least portions of it, we kind of jumped back and forth into it. Um, but, you know, it starts out with a reason for them to all split up. Yeah. And um, something they've explored a few times. Um, but uh, there's not a lot of time left in the episode for yeah. for Velma to be ticked off and leaving. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, she's, she's spiraling. She goes and she has a brief conversation with uh, Lady Lady Blackwhite, who's a... Um, not very helpful. <laughs> no. And in fact, uh, climbs into the clock. Yeah, exactly. But she's like, you know, do you ever think that maybe you've been wasting your life? She's a big, a big question for Velma because she, it is true that she is 
she has more potential than the others, I would say. You know? Yes. In terms of where she could be and what she could and, be. And it doesn't take much to have more potential than a dog. That's true. But the other ones are not living into any of their potential. Yeah. And uh and, and, and Miss Black White kind of basically goes, Ah, oh, see, there you go. That's that's the uh that you're you're growing up. Yeah. You know. Good for you. You should you should embrace your miserableness. Yeah. <laughs> I do like it. Um and then as she's drinking her tea, she's visited by the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Yes. Yeah. Who, in classic style, doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. And Velma has to basically say, are you the ghost of Christmas yet to come? It's interesting that the, the you know, normally you think of it, everybody talks about it and they go, Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas future. But that's not what Dickens said. Right. It wasn't Christmas future. It was yet to come, mm-hmm. you know, um, more open-ended. And, of course, um, you know, is the Christmas yet to come is apparently when you die <laughs> because it, it's always the Grim Reaper. Yeah. And uh, the skeletal finger, you know, very ominous thing. He, he sticks his finger in her tea and all of a sudden now we are, we are, uh, we are, we go from 1843 to she's in the 1903 and she's in the graveyard scene. And then they're setting us up for a classic, you know, uh, Christmas Carol. Cause whose Scrooge, of course, that, whose yeah. grave is that? And and she's starting to say, ah, whose grave is this? And then she sees that there are four of them that are all seventy-five years old, mm-hmm. and or seventy-eight years old rather. And and she's she's just about to vocalize, all my friends are dead, when they appear. Yeah, yeah, they're they're alive. It's great because like I was for a brief second, I was like, wait, what are we doing here? We are we establishing that the entire Mystery Inc. died because of Velma leaving the gang or being part of the gang? What's going on here? But no, it's, it's a total fake out. And very funny when, when old man Fred steps up from behind the, uh, the gravestone. And, and he looks more like a modern version of Fred because yeah. he's in, you know, all up until now he's been in an 1843 sort yeah. of coat and, and suit coat kind of look. And the only thing that's close to the original is he, he, has, a, uh, he has an ascot. Yeah. Uh, but really uh, more of a cravat. Yes, and uh, but now he's 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 wearing white mm-hmm. with the with the the traditional white and blue combo and mm-hmm. orange and and he looks like more like what we expect Fred to look like um, as and, and and Shaggy too Shaggy shows up and he's in brown pants with suspenders but a green shirt mm-hmm. and and the and the thing that's that's just so funny is the dog is still there yeah, yeah. And, and and Scooby says I'm 455 dog years old yeah <laughs> yeah and then they're they're bait for another monster and 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 Shaggy says always the bait yeah and Scooby says if it ain't broke yeah yeah it's great i mean like yeah they're <sighs> they're in the in this in the graveyard, a gargoyle shows up, and uh, they they very quick, very quick situation because he just falls into an open grave, and they unmask him. Right. And it's old lady Velma. Yes. Yes. Great idea. I don't think it's ever been done before that they have unmasked a the, member of right. the gang. Um, and old lady Velma has her resentment has built mm-hmm. for seventy five years, and she is vocalizing. How things have passed to her by that she could have done. She could have, apparently, the actual mystery was she was messing up the Wright brothers' uh, invention of the airplane. Yeah. Because she had thought of the airplane 20 years ago and didn't want, you know, because she says, literally says, 
I would have destroyed their plane if it weren't for you old meddling people yeah, yeah. and your dog. And, and so they, they get to, they get to uh, riff on the classic line, but in a funny way because now they're not meddling kids. They're, yeah. they're meddling octogenarians or yeah. septuagenarians, I guess. Yeah, it's great. Um, she does the, the, the uh, Christmas Carol thing of falling into an open grave and, you know, chanting out like, you know, I'm going to change. I'm going to change my ways. She even says, I'm never going to solve a mystery again. Yes. She wakes up. But maybe that isn't the case. It's true. Because she's got this one figured out. She does. She does have it figured out. And they very move very quickly into a to an unmasking situation. Because she pretends to be Scrooge in the bed when the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Appears. Yeah, she's staring in the mirror and she realizes she's she's figured it all out. And so now she's going to replace Scrooge before the ghost of Christmas future or Christmas yet to come mm-hmm. encounters Scrooge. Yes. And then we get something that that I find is always fascinating to me, um, and in a weird way. So they unmask. The ghost. Mm-hmm. And in this case... It's Dr. Bugley. It's Dr. Bugley. And everybody says, Dr. Bugley, mm-hmm. right? And they do this all the time. And even the members of the gang are always like... It doesn't matter what you know iteration of Scooby-Doo you're doing. Even all the members of the gang say it like it's a complete shock. Even though at least one of them knows... Who they're gonna who they're gonna see. Yeah. You know. Like they should be shocked that it's not Dr. Bugley. Yeah. But but, but it's always a group effort. Dr. Bugley. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, they tie him up in the Christmas streets. Dr. Bugley, um, they start explaining the entire ruse, which is that uh, you know, Doctor Bugley has been has been getting rich off of old old Scrooge. You know he's uh, he's just keeps prescribing him stuff. They go through. They briefly show a few other uh, things that he has been prescribed for, including um, chapped lip- lipitis, which mm-hmm. is chapped lips, of course, uh, trypophobia, which is the fear of holes and things, mm-hmm. and then uh, hyper hy- no not hyper hypogenerosia, which would be the idea that you are being under generous. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, which is good stuff. That's that's a clever clever mm-hmm. gag. Um, but then it's revealed that that Doctor Bugsley is just a little too greedy because he saw he started seeing these these letters. Right, and he saw this opportunity to make even more money off Scrooge mm-hmm. if he could convince Scrooge to be a decent human being and start to pay for other people's medical expenses. Like if he could care as much about their problems as he cares about his own, then Dr. Bugley could make even more money. Yes. Yes. And then we realized that the, 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 the science of deduction is what Velma was going to be presenting to the symposium to begin with. Yes. And he didn't want her to pursue this because that would mean that she would figure him out. So she, so he adapt, adapted his plan to also be visiting her with three ghosts to trick her into thinking that maybe the spirit of mystery isn't for her and that mystery solving is not a good thing in her life. And he does this through hypnosis. He's been hypnosing right. both Scrooge and Velma this entire time through a Latvian technique 
uh, with the words uh, Gubmaha Hob, which is written on the coin. Right. But, and this was kind of clever when you talk about doing visual, visually interesting things, mm-hmm. um, they do that thing that happens in, in a lot of mystery shows where you suddenly get a, a, a brief moment back something you've seen before, mm-hmm. but the focus is in a different place. And you didn't notice the coin that Marley had, you know, amongst the rest of his regalia. Now you're seeing the coin, coin up close, mm-hmm. and she points out that in the mirror... Those those letters would actually be reversed and be bah humbug, which gets lodged in their subconscious, which is why they've been saying it. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And what we learn is Doctor Bugley is apparently a very clever fellow, mm-hmm. because not only does he hatch this great scheme with Scrooge, he's able to to very quickly upon meeting them pinpoint who in the gang he needs to. He, you know, she's the she's the real brains of the operation, mm-hmm. and he's. Very quickly, from a, you know, psychology is not a science yet, but he understands her psycholo- her psychology very quickly, and what will be the way that I can I can get her to stop? Exactly, exactly. It's very good because it's a great way to be like, well, we can't end this episode with Velma having realized that mystery solving isn't for her, right? Even though maybe there is some truth to what the ghosts were saying, you know, there it, it does obviously strike a certain chord in her, mm-hmm. but. She realizes how much she does love her friends. Right. Which is great. Right. And she also values what she's doing. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is at the end of the symposium, they've got, she's got everybody up there and she's been explaining it to this crowd. And it's, uh, in terms of the history of crime, mm-hmm. this is, this is the mid 19th century is when people really start to begin to think of uh, crime as being something that can be solved and, it, and having deduction, you know. A few years from this, for instance, Edgar Allan Poe's going to write the very first detective story. Right. You know, it was right around 48, 40, 1848, 1849, somewhere around in there. But right around the mid-turn of the century, Edgar Allan Poe writes The Murders in the Rue Morgue. Mm-hmm. And you get the notion of there's somebody who can use science and deduction and reason to solve a, a crime. Right. And and then, you know, Scotland Yard comes along toward sometime in that century where you're going to have your first real organized professional police force that investigates murders. And and before the end of the century, you're going to have the greatest, you know, fictional detective ever will be created by, by Conan Doyle and, and, and work along these same lines. And so it's, it's fun to see Velma at a symposium of great minds in, in England talking about, um, the science of deduction. The science of deduction. That's that's her, you know, presentation. So this is like the the genesis of, of that sort of uh, thought process. And yeah. so uh, it, it, it's it's fun. It is. It's great. It's very good. Um, but of course, this unfortunately means that uh, <laughs> Scrooge that Scrooge doesn't gets gets away scot free. Doesn't have to learn a lesson at all because it was all a, a scam. Right. It was all a scam. He can continue to be greedy. He exactly. says, "I can continue to be greedy." And then you get this great line from Cratchit, who's also in the audience, who says, wonderful work, you've doomed us all. <laughs> yeah, which is great. A great ending to, to the whole thing, for sure. Um, and yeah, it, it uh, concludes on, on the closing of the, the Christmas Carol book. Mm-hmm. And it's been, been being read by Mrs. Blackwhite, who is in fact raccoons in disguise. Yes. Because it's always raccoons. And we even hear Fred 
snarling the word again. Raccoons. Yep. And there you have it. That is Scroogey Doo, which we will get a chance to share our final thoughts and rank it here in a second. But before we do that, Dad, it's time for Jinkies or Stinkies. Yes. Now, the way this part of the show works is that each week I collect six stories or facts related to a topic in the episode. Some of those stories which will, will be true, which are jinkies. And some of them will be fake, which are stinkies. Now, obviously, the topic is Christmas, because it's the Christmas episode. So, here we go. I'm going to read them, because these seem to get longer each week. <laughs> um... All across the country, each year, thousands of people dress up as Santa and Mrs. Claus to take pictures with and delight children during the holiday season. But how do you know the Santa you've hired for the Christmas party is trustworthy and not just some suspicious man off the street? Well, you can look for someone who has graduated from Kris Kringle University, a two-week intensive course which takes place each year in Provo, Utah, of which hundreds of men ascend on one point to take classes in Christmas history, etiquette, and even a workshop to perfect the perfect wave. Extracurricular activities include tug-of-war competitions, beard weaving, and a talent show. After you graduate, if you so choose, you can pay $800 to get your very own class ring, noted by a bright red gemstone setting with a reindeer etched inside. When Kris Kringle grads pass each other in real life and see the ring, they're expected to give a secret greeting, which is proprietary information only to the Santa elite. Is that a jinky or a stinky? Well, it's fun, no matter how it is. As you were... My my initial instinct... My brain suddenly started going down this rabbit hole of if you want to know that, you're, that the person you're hired to be Santa Claus is a genuine Saint Nick, is that it was going to go in the direction of like an Angie's list for um, Santa Clauses. Right. You know, like, you know... Nicholas list. <laughs> right. <laughs> where, it's, where, where you've been vetted in some way. Um, it hardly seems like a good money-making endeavor to have a, a two-week course every year. Did I say that it was in the summertime? Because it's not in... Uh, yeah, I said two-week course yep, yep. takes place each summer in Provo, Utah. That's the... It's the location that makes me... I think I think this is a stinky. It is a stinky. Yeah. And Provo, Utah made me. Well, why Provo? You know, had it been like, I don't know. It seemed like you know if Macy's was doing it someplace sure. up in New York, or but sure. but but yeah. I'm. All right. Good. Okay. You got, got it right. It. Yeah. I feel good. Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, is arguably the most influential Christmas story of all time, and not just on the writers of Be Cool Scooby-Doo. Historians have said that charitable giving went up dramatically in England after the original story was released. One such touched soul was Lord Henry Byron Fitzpatrick, who owned four coal plants in the city and a sizable fortune. He was inspired to give £300,000 to children's homes around the city, which in 1843 money was a lot of money. But while he was feeling altruistic, it certainly didn't inspire him that much because he didn't spend any of his own fortune, but instead spent the money he had put away for his three sons' trust funds. The sons got together and sued their dad and got the transaction reversed. 
So no money went to the orphans. I feel as though I've known that there was a reaction like that. Uh, not necessarily that one, but that there was... I, I feel like I've heard before that there was there was a lot of um, trans, I guess, transformational response. Um, and give Dickens credit for what's basically social commentary um, being <laughs> not necessarily even thinly disguised. I mean, you know, when the when the ghost of Christmas present opens up the the coat and you see the the starving children, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. We, we don't have as much of that sort of, um, stick it to the man thought process. Everybody's out to make their dollar. Um, I'm going to say though, that this is a jinky. This is a stinky. Uh, well it. done. It is true that there was, uh, at least I read somewhere that there was supposedly, you know, people, charitable giving went up, but there's no such person as Lord Henry Byron Fitzpatrick and all that is fake. It's a good name, though, Lord Henry Byron Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. Clever. Children from the Netherlands find Christmas time more frightening than they do marry due to a particularly grisly folk legend. Most people have heard of the German Krampus, but few have heard of the Dutch equivalent Getzmanden, or Goatman. Everyone knows that Santa keeps a list of those who are naughty and nice, but who enforces these rules? Instead of worrying about coal in their stocking, Dutch children must fear the Getzmanden, a ten-foot-tall bipedal goat man with a coal-black beard. If you make the naughty list, Getzmanden will find you where you're sleeping Christmas Eve, drag you out into the snow, and rip out your organs, replacing your insides with straw, leaving you in bed as a present for your weary present parents and a warning to other children. Over time, the Getzmanden myth has gone through changes and softened a little bit, but there are still families who are keeping the gruesome tradition alive to make sure their kids are extra nice around the holidays. Well, time has certainly changed from an elf on a shelf, hadn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so is it plausible that there would be a dark-bearded goat man who disembowels children as a warning? Uh, today we would say no, that's not what we would come up with, but but you certainly could medieval medieval stuff is weird. You've got the uh, you've got the the goat man is, is kind of a devil figure. Blackbeard, that, that makes sense. What's the name of it again? Getzmanden. Which means goat man. Getzmanden, which would mean goat man. Only I only know that it means I don't speak Dutch. I'm only I gotta take your word for that. And we've already established that you make some of this stuff up. Um, we had mentioned the other day when we were talking that it's that it's interesting that Scooby Doo has never used uh, uh, Krampus as a uh, as a villain, you know, because that would have been an easy Christmas thing for him to do. Um, which might have led you to then come up, find a different ancient legend, or it might have led you to make something up and use Krampus. I am going to say, and here's why, I think Gretzmanden is not Dutch for goat. I think it's you putting get man together, and it's a stinky. It is a stinky, yeah. All right. 
Woohoo! <laughs> Way to go. Way to go. But very, very it, it is exactly the way like an ancient like whoever, you know, Hans Christian Andersen was coming up with some creepy stuff for the kids. So it's not unbelievable they were like, hey, if you're not good, they're gonna disembowel you and we're gonna be left with your straw version. Yeah. You know, to keep in your room that we're never going to change. Yeah. <laughs> like an X Files episode. Legends have been told of the Tickle Me Elmo, the most sought-after Christmas gift of all time. But if a few things had gone a little differently, no one would have ever wanted the doll. Before Tycho got the license to Sesame Street Toys, the doll was originally known as Ticklish Tina, a mouse-like creature in a bow and dress that you could tickle until she cried of laughter. The design was significantly less cute due to Tina having an uncannily human face despite otherwise rodentine features. It was also unclear how old Ticklish Tina was supposed to be, unlike the eternally cherubic Elmo. And to top it all off, it's adorable when Elmo giggles with glee, but Tina, not so much. Tycho hired veteran voice actor Sue Grenwald, known for her work on the Magic School Bus, to record an original laugh, but the one she chose was a little too punchy with the bizarre Brooklyn accent to it. Thankfully, they worked out the deal with Sesame Street to license the toy, and the rest is history. It's ticklish Tina. True or false? Stinky. It is a stinky, yeah. yeah. I'm just guessing I would have heard by now if there had been a precursor to the Tickle Me Elmo. Well, originally, Ooh. it was a Tasmanian Devil doll. Oh. and Because they already had the Looney Tunes gotcha. license. And then they decided that Elma would sell better so they approached Sesame Street. So there you go. See, your reasoning was wrong, but you were right either way. It would be creepy to have a, a, a rodentia with a, a canningly human face. It's like the time that I saw the, uh, the image in the newspaper of them growing a human ear out of the back of a rat. And I was like, I don't want to live in the world that has human like ears that. growing no. out of the back of rats. But it did also make me think of that phrase that my mother used to say all the time, I don't give a rat's ass, mm -hmm. had a whole new meaning. Yeah. You know, after seeing that. Yeah. Whoever gets a ear transplant could literally say that. You got two left. <laughs> <laughs> a 1988 Denny's closed its doors for the first time. A restaurant chain that prided itself on the always open policy would finally close its restaurants for Christmas Day. To allow the thousands of workers it employed to have the time to spend the holiday with their family. They even paid each employee for the day even though they weren't working. But this entire endeavor would wind up being extremely costly. You see, because the restaurants were always open 24 hours a day, many of them had lost the keys to their doors. And others didn't have locks at all. The company had to pay to install new locks on 700 restaurants. The entire endeavor, combined with the potential loss of revenue, cost the company $5 million. But it was worth it to spread a little holiday cheer. Is that a jinky or a stinky? The not having locks seems implausible. Still, I'm going to go uh, jinky. This is a jinky. It's true. Yes. Wow. Five million dollars. Mm -hmm. Drop in the bucket. Yep. I'm sure they made <laughs> plenty of money. <laughs> uh, 
Christmas Eve, without question. Okay, last one. Brock Chisholm, a distinguished Canadian psychiatrist, was the first director general of the World Health Organization, earning the title Doctor to the Human Race. But he was also known for telling an Ottawa Home and School Association in 1945 the following, quote, Any child who believes in Santa Claus has had his ability to think permanently destroyed. Can you imagine a child of four being led to believe that a man of grown stature is able to climb down a chimney? That Santa Claus can cover the entire world in one night, distributing presents to everyone. He will become a man who has ulcers at 40, develops a sore back where there is a tough job to do, and refuses to think realistically when war threatens. When a reporter gave him a chance to clarify his remarks, Chisholm said that Santa Claus was one of the worst offenders against clear thinking, and so an offense against peace. Wow. An offense against peace. Did you mention a year? Uh, 1945 is when he was. 1945. I don't know if that was before or after the World Health Organization, but that is when he told, that is when this quote is from. Yeah, it's possible that, that he was the first... You know, once World Health formed, he was the guy. Um, hmm. Brock Chisholm sounds like the name of a person from a bad Western. But the quote is oddly pointed. Definitely see where somebody toward the end of the war would be, you know, opposed to magical thinking and and also opposed to, um, you know, had become so deeply cynical that they didn't appreciate paternal, the value of paternal lies. Um, jinky it is a jinky bit of a different one but i found the quote just stunning yes stunning a threat to peace Mm -hmm. belief in santa claus is a threat to peace yes yeah well you did great you only missed one yeah i know i was like i'm I'm feeling good great about that thanks thank you um wow i'm still like it's funny to me the stuff that people go after. Like, why go after Santa Claus? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in 1945, I'm sure you had other things worth talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. That was Jinkies or Stinkies. It just leaves us with ranking this episode on our heavy metal tier list. There are five tiers. The bottom tier is the rut road tier. It's the worst of the worst episodes we hate. Uh, from that is the Scooby Dumb tiers for episodes we think are dumb, obviously, but, you know, not rank um the mm-hmm. middle tier is the just another mystery tier that's for things that are middle of the road don't you know do anything special up from that is the groovy tier it's for episodes that we like a lot but just don't do enough to make it into the cream of the crop the best of the best the golden scoob tier of scooby-doo what are we thinking for be cool scooby-doo season two episode 10 scroogey 
Well, it definitely is not one of the bottom two. It is not. There's no question about that. Had we done uh, Nutcracker Scoob, that would have been literally the bottom. That, that, it's, that, it's, it's rank. A, it's a terrible, yeah. terrible Yeah, episode. It, it is not good. Um, the um, um, I also don't know that I would put this... I don't know that you can put this in Golden Scoop category. It's very good. And you may disagree with me about this. It's very good. Um, but I don't know when you do sort of a one-off and you, I don't know, it depends on what criteria you want to use. Um, because there's, because Scooby and Shaggy are kind of ancillary and there's a lot of things that aren't there. I don't know if it gets to be the best example of, of a Scooby-Doo. Sure. Um, That being said though, you could also say because you've, You've done some really clever things with the characters and the and the formula, and you've you've tw- you've tweaked it just enough um, to make it really its own thing uniquely. Maybe that does get you into that category. Um, and I, but I don't know, you know, I, I could be persuaded either way. Um, I think. I think it is very special. I think that it is one of the best Velma episodes. Certainly, like, if you're excluding Mystery Incorporated, this is like, yeah, there not there aren't very many great Velma episodes. This is a great Velma episode. Right. Um, I do think that you're right, though, if you're looking at it with, like, I mean, there's not, like, an iconic monster design here because it's just sort of like, okay, we just sort of did the things from the, the Christmas Carol and there aren't, you know, like you say, Scooby and Shaggy are sidelined and, and all that sort of thing. So I could be persuaded to do just just go Groovy on this one. Groovy's uh, tier two, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I I definitely think that it's it's funny. Before we started talking about it, I thought to myself, eh, maybe it's middle of the road. But as I started to appreciate more deeply, you know, it... it they could have done this episode in an hour and it still would have been entertaining to watch. Yeah. You know, like it, it, they, it's that good at, um, and, but, but kudos to them that it's not longer with intentional bits for Shaggy and Scooby that didn't, you know, like the, yeah. like the night, the, the, the Scooby-Doo movies, sometimes they just have these extended things yeah. that aren't, aren't necessary. This is tight. It's good. I think you're right. Groovy is the way to go. It's groovy. For sure. Yeah. It's it's really good, and um, and yeah, it's just it's great. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, Dad, you did it. You, you you completed another episode of Heavy Metal. Thank you for for joining me last minute on this one. I really appreciate it. Glad to do it. Glad to do it. Very very happy. With, um, got to see something I hadn't never seen before either. So for sure. that's good for sure. Um, and now I know to look out for raccoons. Yeah, you got it. Keep an eye out. They're shifty. Um, do, you, do you have anything you want to plug, Dad? <laughs> As you know, um, we talked, when you asked me, do I remember the format of the show? And I said at the end, you're going to ask me if I have anything to plug, and I'm going to say I don't. Uh, I do think somebody needs to write a screenplay with a thinly veiled Jeff Bezos as Ebenezer Scrooge. That would be good. Um, uh, so somebody out there listening to this, that's the thing. Um, he he needs to be told to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, um, so so there's that. And then um, 
you know, I haven't done it this year. I, last year we uh, we thought through uh, in five minutes, you know, what what a Christmas a Hallmark Christmas movie, um, you know, plot, and uh, right. and and I think that that should become like a that should become like a, a game that people play where you you reach into a hat or you know randomly generate occupation, person's name, location, create a create a Hallmark Christmas movie plot yeah you know uh out of those things and whoever does the best one wins um that would be a fun game but uh but no i don't have anything to plug <laughs> okay great um for me if you want to follow me you can follow me at the real Brendan on twitter i tweet there um you can follow the show on twitter at heavy metal pod that's where you, how you mainly find out whenever there's a new episode um you know if you like the show this is first time listening um Every week, the guest changes, but I am always here, and we'll talk about any ran, any episode of Scooby-Doo at all. Um, it could be from any era, but I've got big news, which is in January, for the first time ever on Heavy Metal, a Scooby-Doo podcast, we're going to be discussing the direct-to-video films got a whole month lined up of direct-to-video movies um some fun turning guests and some new faces um and uh we're gonna start out the first one will be the first week of january and that episode is going to be scooby-doo and the ghoul school real classic um got two really fun guests coming back to the show first ever time having two guests on one episode because it was just such a a big topic that we wanted to talk about and it's it's a very fun episode we've already recorded and i think you're going to like it a lot um but yeah so we got a whole month for all you people that are always asking me when are you going to cover the movies that's your time right then we got four whole episodes lined up for you so i hope you enjoy those and we'll see you then um there's one one more episode in between however because there's one week left in uh in 2021 so next week we'll be back with uh scooby-doo where are you covering what the hex is going on Ooh, mm-hmm. that's exciting yeah very very great episode of television and that one is so if you are subscribed you know keep an eye out for that and until next time remember to all you meddling kids out there to stay groovy and merry Ha, 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 ha.